That's what faith is, where we're seeking Him because we see who He is, not because we're seeking what He can do. Welcome to Former Adventist Podcast. Grab a cup of coffee and join Colleen Tinker and Nikki Stevenson as they discuss their life after Adventism. Welcome to Former Adventist Podcast. I'm Nikki Stevenson. And I'm Colleen Tinker. This week, we continue our series on how to live after Adventism with a discussion on the nature of saving faith. I know for me as an Adventist, I had a whole lot of ideas about what faith was, and none of them came even close to how I understand it now. Right. Saving faith is a gift of God that produces a life-altering conviction of trust in the person and work of Jesus our Lord. It leaves no room for just-in-case idolatry, but instead causes a person to put the full weight of their hope and trust upon Christ alone. This faith is given as the Holy Spirit enables us to truly understand and believe the good news God has given us about His Son, what He's already accomplished for those who trust Him, and His promise to keep forever those who are His. In Christianity, the matter of human faithfulness is another issue entirely. But by its fruit, Adventism conflates the two and basically defines saving faith as human faithfulness. Their last day message speaks of a remnant people who will be saved by living with an ever-increasing faithfulness to the law of God and who will attract even more obedient law keepers to redeem God's character to a watching universe. This is not the gospel or the God described by the Bible. I believe that the topic of saving faith is a critical piece to understanding the gospel that saves. We hope you'll join us with your Bibles open, or that you'll jot down the scripture references as you hear them so you can return to them and spend time with them in the week ahead. But before we get started, let me remind you that we love hearing from you. You can write to us at formeradventist at gmail.com. You can visit proclamationmagazine.com to read current and archived online articles and to sign up for our weekly emails. You can also find a donate tab there if you'd like to come alongside Lamb with your financial support. Also, be sure to subscribe to this podcast if you're not already, and please leave a review wherever you listen, as this does help to expand our reach. So, Colleen, yes, here's my question. As an Adventist, how did you understand faith? Oh, that was a word I didn't know what to do with. I knew that faith for me as an Adventist included being faithful, like you said in your introduction, being faithful to keep the Sabbath, being faithful to do my best with the health message. (laughs) Did you notice I said do my best? Mm -hmm. That was a lot of my life, to do my best. Mm. That's actually kind of the summary of my understanding of faith, do my (laughs) best. Because if I was sincere, God would honor that. Except that if I didn't do my best, and my best was always harder than I could manage, I could be lost so I would spend hours agonizing after I went to bed about whether I had, you know, broken the Sabbath, uh, asking God to forgive me for washing the floors after sundown on Friday night. But then in terms of trusting God, there was a whole other aspect of faith I didn't know what to do with. Mm. For example, I could see Christians out there praying for miracles and declaring they had gifts of faith. Even a lot of Adventists I knew, as time went on, started to specialize in having gifts of faith to cast out demons. If you have enough faith, you can get rid of this. If you have enough faith, you can move a mountain. And where's our faith? And where was my faith? And I didn't know how to drum that up or what it even actually meant. So, to be really honest, it was a confusing thing for me. 
And the idea of saving faith was not something I thought about a lot because being saved to me meant being faithful Mm -hmm. to God. And it didn't dawn on me that God's faithfulness to me was what kept me faithful to Him, because I didn't understand being saved. It was kind of like a circle, a vicious circle. If this, then that, but this isn't possible, so that isn't possible, so what is it? (laughs) How about you, Nikki? (laughs) (laughs) You summed that up quite well, actually. Yeah, same. I mean, I think faith was like a strength, Uh a, a force, kind of, that you generate. And the more you practice it, the stronger and better you are at it. And it's what gives you the power to deny yourself. Oh, yes. And to be worthy of blessings and answered prayer. It's what causes you ultimately to be faithful. (laughs) You can imagine my struggle (laughs) (laughs) trying to generate that kind of strength. And even this statement, and I know believers use it too. I've used it. Have faith. Um, What I mean when I say it now as a Christian is remember God. Yeah. That's what I mean now when I say it. Remember God. Trust Him. As an Adventist, it was practice faithfulness. Practice faithfulness. I mean, that would have been how I I think I would have defined that. Like, do well. (laughs) Yeah. That's one of the reasons I, I shared that story last week about my son being sick and people telling me to have faith. That was one of the reasons I was so upset because I'm like, okay, great. How? Tell me how. I'll do it. I'll do anything to save my boy. How? That was always my question. No one could. No No. No one could answer that for me. So it was a little esoteric. It was like a little faith journey. I don't know. A little Gnostic. Yeah. It was very confusing and I felt inadequate. And oddly, even though I felt inadequate, I felt like most of my peers really weren't interested in spiritual things. Oh, yeah, but they could throw out, have faith. <laughs> At that time in my life, those were pastors saying that. And I'm not sure I was ever assertive with my frustration about it. Maybe they would have had something to say if I'd pushed, but I don't believe it would be what I understand faith to be now. Mm-mm. I don't. I don't think so. You know, that's a really interesting thing. I was thinking about your experience with your son and the have faith, have mm-hmm. faith. And the way I would have understood have faith would have included don't give in to depression. Oh. You know, in my mind, it was sort of like, have faith. God will come through. God will make everything good in His time. I even believed that somehow Romans 8.28 applied to everything that happened. He works everything together for good to those that love God. And of course, I loved God. I didn't understand that meant to those who trust Jesus and know Him. So, how all this was going to work together for good, I didn't know, but I couldn't bear to think about God removing people from my life. Like, what if something happened to my kids? What if something happened to my husband? Have faith, have faith. And yes, okay, he'll work that together for good, but I'll sure be miserable in the meantime. So, you know, I could never figure out how my good and not giving in to to fear and anxiety and trusting God, I didn't have a clue how that went together. I think with Christians, when we say have faith, that presupposes that you know the message. Yes, it does. It it assumes you know the message. I went through a hard time a couple summers ago, and a brother in the church reached out to me, and he said, you're safe in the will of God. And I think that that's what Christians mean when they say have faith. Remember, 
God's taking care of you. Now, in Adventism, we didn't have the message. No, we didn't. We didn't have the gospel. We didn't have anything that gave substance to have faith. And so, of course, we were confused. That is the fruit of not having a gospel that holds you together. Nikki, that's perfectly said. That's exactly it. This is another case of indicatives and imperatives. Yeah. Faith is actually a gift of the Spirit. It's listed in the gifts. And that means that we know Jesus and have been born again. It's not something that unbelievers are supposed to generate. The indicative for all of the commands in the New Testament to have faith or in the Old, the indicative is you trust God, you know Him, you believe Him. And if you don't, faith is a moot point. And one thing I I thought of while we were preparing for this reminded me of, um, actually reminded me of Romans 3, 19 to 22. And, you know, Paul is talking, he comes through Romans 3 explaining what it means that we're unable to please God by nature, unable to please God. No one seeks Him, no one can do right, no one can know Him. And then, beginning in verse 19, Paul says, Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by works of law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes the knowledge of sin. But now, the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets have witnessed to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, for there is no distinction. And when I read that, I think this kind of explains to me why I didn't understand faith as an Adventist. I really would have said, oh, I'm not saved by the law. My righteousness isn't from the law. And yet, I would have felt like God held me unrighteous if in wanting to please Him, I didn't keep the law, because keeping the law showed that I loved Him. So, if I wasn't keeping the law, then I was unrighteous and didn't love Him. I mean, it was all circular thinking. The law was intrinsically tied into whether or not I was able to actually love God and please Him and show that I did. I'm realizing now that in a very real way, I think as an Adventist, I really was all mixed up about the covenants. Because Israel was promised blessings for obedience and curses for disobedience. And I believed that was true for me, and it never dawned on me. The blessings of born-again believers are promises from God to people who trust Jesus. These are not things we earn by keeping the law and being good, blessings for obedience, curses for disobedience. It's just a completely different paradigm in Christ. I had no clue. So, the indicative is that we are to know Jesus and trust Him and be born again, and then the imperative comes to live in faith, to live by faith. And that first faith that comes when we trust Jesus is a total gift from God. It's nothing we do. In fact, that's the beauty of Jesus' finished work. He has opened a new and living way to the Father. The curtain was torn. Anybody in the whole world can come to the Father asking for forgiveness, asking for justification, asking for His intervention in their lives without bringing a sacrifice like had to be done in the Old Testament, because the blood of Jesus is the sacrifice that opens the way for us to approach the Father. He gives us the faith to believe when we approach Him, and when He brings us to life, His Spirit indwells us, 
And we are then sent out to live by faith, which comes from God, from the Spirit living in us. I had no idea about that as an Adventist. And that faith is a trust. It's an entrustment. And so, the more you know God, the more you trust Him. It's not a formula that you just get good at. Right. It's something God does. As He reveals Himself to us, what we know to be true about Him is absolutely undeniable, and that informs how we live. What you're describing is Colossians 2, 6, and 7. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, it was by faith. Yes. So walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him, and established in the faith. That's growing in our knowledge of Him and being built up in truth, and that allows us to trust Him more and more as we go. You know, yesterday when I was working on notes for this podcast, I just asked Richard kind of randomly, so when you think about faith, how do you describe it? What's faith? And he said, so faith comes from hearing and hearing by the Word of God. And I looked it up in Romans 10, Romans 10, 17 is that text. And in the NASB, it's worded this way. So faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. And it was very interesting to me that in the study notes in my NASB study Bible, it said the literal meaning of the Greek under the word of Christ, the literal meaning is the word concerning Christ, Mm. which really made a lot of sense to me. Faith comes from hearing and hearing from the word concerning Christ. The word of Christ, the gospel of our salvation, is what causes us to know what is true, to know what is real, to see Jesus, to see God, and to have faith. It's the source of faith. It's nothing we drum up. It's what He does in us by His own word. And as Richard has often said, if you're not sure what to believe, no matter what the subject If you're not sure how to find reality in the life around you, read the Bible. Now, I know as a new Christian, I used to think, yeah, read the Bible. What am I supposed to do about a house to buy? What am I supposed to do about a car to buy? Where shall I send my kids to school? Read the Bible? Well, it's not going to tell me specifically. But the thing that's so interesting about read the Bible is the Word of Christ gives us the knowledge of God. And Like you said earlier, Nikki, you know things you didn't know you knew (laughs) or you didn't know before when Mm -hmm. you know Jesus, Mm -hmm. because He is our wisdom and He gives us the mind of Christ. And knowing Him takes the anxiety out of what house should I buy. It takes the fear out of where should I send my kids to school, because we know He's sovereign and that He cares for us and that He's going to meet all of our needs. And as the opportunities approach, He leads. That's right. You know what you said about Faith comes by hearing and hearing through the word. I like that concerning Christ. Mm-hmm. It made me think of Second Corinthians chapter three, where Paul is talking about he's comparing new covenant uh, born again Christians with Israel. And when Moses came off the mountain and he had this face that yes. you know had all this glory, but he covered it because it was fading away. And he likens that to the covenant that was fading away. And and he talks about how we have this glory we don't hide because our covenant will last forever. I'm summarizing big time. But he says in verse 14, speaking of the Jews who continue to go back to the law and just read the law, he says, their minds were hardened for to this day when they read the old covenant, that same veil remains unlifted because only through Christ 
is it taken away? Yeah. That faith comes as we meet the living God man. <laughs> That's true. It's not our faith. Just like our spiritual life is not our life. It's the resurrection life of Jesus. Our faith is the faith of Jesus. In fact, when I take this back, I think back, okay, I understand this concept in the New Covenant that we trust the finished work of Jesus and we're born again and sealed with the Holy Spirit. What about the Old Testament? And I take that back and I read Romans 4 and it talks about the faith of Abraham. And I think about Abraham in Genesis 15, where God said, I'm going to make you a great nation. I'm going to give you land. You're going to be a blessing to all people. And it says, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him for righteousness. That's the essence. Mm -hmm. Do we believe God? And the only way we know what God is saying is in His Word. Do we believe Him? And I know how simplistic this sounds to many people who are grappling with Adventism. Well, how do you know the Bible's complete? How do you know something hasn't been left out? What do you do with the fact that there's different numbers for the same event in Chronicles and Kings? What do you do? You know, and I want to say... God has given us this word. Certain discrepancies in Old Testament record keeping can actually be explained if you understand certain concepts and certain ideas and certain geographical things. I can't explain every single question, but I can say this. God has given us His word, and it's the only thing that we have in our tangible physical world that claims to be the word of God, that claims to be from Him. And it's the only thing that shows us what Jesus did. There has to be reality. And if we know that there's evil, there has to be good. I think all of us intuitively know that. The Bible is where we find out that truth. And you know, I know this sounds really simplistic, but when it comes to how do you know you can trust the Bible, my answer now is because the tomb was empty. I agree with you. We know Christ raised from the dead. We know He's alive. We know Him. And he taught us how to view scripture. Absolutely did. He considered it God's word. And he showed us how the Old Testament foreshadowed him. Mm -hmm. He told us what to think of scripture. And we can read in John 17, where he said in his prayer, before he was arrested, while his disciples were in the room, he said, I don't only pray for these, the disciples you've given me, but for everyone who will believe through their word. Mm -hmm. He clearly laid out how all of us would know him. It would be the witness of the apostles, and that is what we find in Scripture. And that's why I said in the introduction that, that saving faith leaves no room for just-in-case idolatries. You know, the minute you say, well, I'm going to keep the Sabbath just in case, or I'm going to forego all flesh foods just in case, then you're not believing God when He says that His Son is sufficient. That's that right. That He did all of it. The minute we do our just in case, we're no different from Rachel tucking her idols under her skirt. Or, Absolutely. Or the Israelites who said, yeah, He wants us to go into the promised land, but we're not going to do that. Yeah, We think giants. we know better. Mm -hmm. And so we're going to go this way. That's all just in case. That's all playing it safe. That's not believing God. And that's using your own human wisdom to make decisions about your life without saying, God said this, and even though I don't understand it, I actually need to live this way. And you know, I know this sounds so fundamentalist. I know how I would have heard my own words as an Adventist. But I want to say this. 
my own mind leads me into endless labyrinths of what ifs and bargaining about any subject, anything that I can't see the future. What if my husband has another positive test for his cancer? What if my kids lose their jobs? What if the weather doesn't rain? What if, I mean, I used to grow up worrying about stuff like that actually a lot. I can lead myself into terrible anxiety, even unbelief. And the fact is, when Scripture tells me that Jesus has opened a new and living way to the Father, that I can trust His blood and come to have true spiritual life in Him, when the Bible tells me that He puts His Spirit in me when I believe Him, that's true because He said it. And when I actually trust Him, these things become real, and He puts the witness of His Spirit in my heart. He shows me that God is my Father. He shows me I can trust His Word, and even if I can't see how it will be fulfilled, it will. He will never leave me. He will redeem everything. He will not leave me comfortless. And if I die, He will be with me through every second of that transition, which I cannot explain, and I will be with Him. It's a completely different way of looking, and His Bible, His Word is what tells me that. You know, I know it does sound black and white, but I can't help but think of of the words of Jesus when He said, "'My sheep hear my voice, and another voice they will not follow.'" When you come to know the Lord, you know His Word. You You may not be able to teach it or explain it or understand it cover to cover, but you know it's His. Yeah. And you know it's truthful. It's not self-generated like the faith I thought I had to muster up in Adventism. It's just something He gives us. And you know, related to that, I hear a lot of people, even in Christianity, and I also heard this in Adventism, saying, Oh, there's power in prayer. We just have to have faith. We just have to pray. There's power in prayer. Okay, let me break that down for myself. Of course, there's quotes, power in prayer, but it's not because prayer has power. I had to learn that I didn't put my faith in prayer. My faith has to be in Jesus. And when I know Him, His commands in Scripture are, for example, Philippians 4, 6-8, where it says, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything with prayer and thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to Him. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Now, that command tells me to pray. Mm -hmm. It also tells me to give thanks. It tells me to bring my request to Him. It also tells me not to be anxious, not because I have to generate non-anxiety, but because His Word can't fail. And that's the difference for me. Knowing that all of these commands to believers are on the basis of the fact that God's promises cannot fail. They're certain. And because His Word is certain, I can trust Him. That's faith. If I desperately want something, for example, somebody to be healed from a terrible disease, or my dog to be healed from something I can't seem to figure out. Faith is not believing that this will happen if I figure out how to pray enough, or trust in something, picturing the the healed person or the healed animal and keeping my mind on that and believing for it. That's not biblical faith. Biblical faith is saying, God knows what I need. He's promised that I don't have to worry about what I eat, drink, or wear. 
I don't have to worry about how I will be kept alive or how my livestock will be kept alive. I can trust him and I can ask him to intervene, but I can ask him to hold me in peace and to show me his will and to keep me content in him. It's a whole different thing and it doesn't sound satisfying to a person who's desperately grasping to make something happen. And I don't know how to explain it to a person who's desperately grasping to make something happen, except to say, go to Jesus and submit yourself to Him, submitting your sins, submitting your own desires to Him, and letting Him replace all of that franticness with what's real about Him. And that is, He's paid for your sin. That's where faith comes from. He's paid for my sin, and He's broken the curse. And it's through that suffering where we come to know Him in new and deeper ways. We can look back on those frantic prayers that didn't unfold the way we wanted them to, and we can see Him and know more of Him through that in a way that is really hard to articulate. It is. You know, one of my favorite examples of all of this from the life of Jesus is found in Luke 5, 17 to 26. And there's so much about this story that I've thought about over the years and not been able to completely explain and still can't totally explain the depth of it. It's an amazing story. And here's what it says. On one of those days as he was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there who had come from every village in Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem. In other words, from the north to the south, the whole country. And the power of the Lord was with him to heal. And behold, some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed, and they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus. But finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up to the roof and let him down with his bed through the tiles into the midst before Jesus. And when he saw their faith, he said, man, your sins are forgiven you. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to question, saying, Who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? When Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered them, Why do you question in your hearts? Which is easier to say? Your sins are forgiven you, or rise and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed and go home. And immediately he rose up before them and picked up what he'd been lying on and went home glorifying God. And amazement seized them all and they glorified God and were filled with awe saying, we have seen extraordinary things today. Now, Nikki, isn't that interesting Mm. that they got mad, not when Jesus said, pick up your bed and walk. But when he said to this man, as a first thing to say, your sins are forgiven. That wasn't even what the man and his friends expected from him. Your sins are forgiven. And that made them furious because they knew he was taking the role of God. So then he equated healing with forgiving sins, almost in terms of being from God and said, which is easier, your sins are forgiven or get up and walk. Like who but God could do either one. (laughs) And then, in order to prove that the Son of Man had power on earth to forgive, he said, get up and walk. And the greater mercy isn't that the man could walk. Right. It was that Jesus showed and revealed to every person in that room who he was. They saw he was God. Mm -hmm. And 
that's what faith is, where we're seeking Him because we see who He is, not because we're seeking what He can do. That makes me think of the story of Martha when her brother Lazarus died and Jesus was coming and she met him out on the road and she she said, teacher, if you had been here, he wouldn't have died. And they had this conversation and Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. She says, I know he'll rise again in the resurrection on the last day. And Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. Her faith, her trust was in who he was. She had no idea what was coming next. Jesus said later in the chapter, Take away the stone. And Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he's been dead four days. And Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? God exacts His miracles according to His own will. No one tells God what to do. (laughs) Her faith was in who He was, and He acted. And she got to to witness that glory. But it wasn't because she had faith in faith in faith in faith. Right. Right. (laughs) She had faith in Christ. So it is all about the object of our faith, yes. which again brings me back to there is no room for just-in-case doctrines. I agree. There's no room. The object of our faith is everything. If we believe that there's anything we have to do to be saved or to remain saved other than believe in God, then we're deceiving ourselves. And we're warned over and over in Scripture to be careful that you don't have an unbelieving heart. Honestly, this is the answer to the Sabbath question. Absolutely. Time and time again, people ask, well, what about the Sabbath? Well, what about the object of your faith? That's what right. What saves you? And that betrays, actually, that Adventists do believe that they can lose their salvation if they give up Sabbath. Mm-hmm. That really places the Sabbath as the final word, which is what Ellen White said it was. It's also interesting that the miracles of God in the Bible are always associated with his identity, with revealing the gospel, with authenticating the claims of Christ, the claims of his apostles, even his prophets. Even in the Old Testament, the miracles of the Old Testament authenticate the message. Moses striking the rock, um, Elijah and Elisha raising widows' sons and doing other miracles, healing Naaman. The miracles in the New Testament are always associated with authenticating the gospel, authenticating the messengers, the apostles, authenticating the identity of Jesus himself, doing what only God could do, and the Jews knew it was only what God could do. So, when we think, if I just believe for this or that, if I believe for money, if I believe for good health, if I believe for a new house, that's not ever the kind of believing the Bible describes. The Bible only describes us having faith in God, in who He is, and the unfailing truth of His Word. And when He does things, it's to authenticate Himself to us and for His glory. And when we know who He is, we realize we have His presence and His peace and His grace to us, even if the tangible things we'd hoped for 
are not part of what he does for us. He gives us himself in ways that are far more powerful than the mere physical things that we thought we wanted. Yeah, I mean, when we see reality, we're willing to do hard things. I think of of the Hall of Faith in Hebrews and the fact that Moses, by faith, decided, considered the Pharaoh's daughter would not be his mother, and he followed God. He did hard things. He argued with God. Mm -hmm. I'm not eloquent. I can't speak, but he did it because he knew God was real. He knew what was real. He believed God, and he did the next right thing, and that is what it is to live by faith. Absolutely. Abraham, in Hebrews 11, also tells us that when he went to sacrifice Isaac, this was the son of promise that God had told him would be his heir. He wasn't to even consider Ishmael to be his heir. It tells us in Hebrews eleven nineteen that Abraham considered that God is able to raise people even from the dead, from which he also received him back as a type. Abraham essentially received Isaac back from the dead. And you know, the Old Testament doesn't tell us this detail, but we learn here in Hebrews that Abraham even believed that God could raise the dead. That's how he knew he could follow God's word and do what he said and take Isaac up that mountain. He believed Isaac was the son of promise, and he believed God was going to do whatever was necessary to fulfill that promise to him. He knew he could even raise the dead. That's faith. Believing that God's word cannot fail, no matter how counterintuitive it looks. So it's always going back to who is God. Always. When we look down that murky path that is leaving Adventism, wondering what is ahead of us? What is this going to do to my relationships? What about everything I'm going to lose? All of that, you've got to go back to God. You've got to believe him. You've got to believe his word. When he says people who leave homes and lands and families and farms <laughs> for the gospel, for me, will receive back a hundred times in this life with persecutions. Yeah. And so we trust him. We trust him when we walk down that path, not knowing what's ahead, that he's there to catch us and that he will provide for us. And we believe him because frankly, guys, there's, there's no other reality but his. That's what the new and living way opened to God is for. So we can have something absolutely certain in this life and the next. That's the only thing we have is the Lord Jesus who has paid for our sin with his blood, who has broken our curse with his rising from the dead. We are no longer enslaved to our natures. We're no longer children of wrath when we have believed in the Lord Jesus. And that's the secret for walking just as we've been called. We always go back to Him because He is real. He is truth. And He has brought us alive in Himself and has planted us firmly for eternity in Himself. And we never have to worry that He will drop us. That's how we have faith to live our lives. If you have questions or comments for us, write to us at formeradventist at gmail.com. Visit proclamationmagazine.com to read current and, and archived online articles and to sign up for our weekly emails. You can also find a donate tab there if you'd like to come alongside us with your financial support. Also, be sure to subscribe to this podcast, and we'd love it if you'd leave a review wherever you listen. And join us next week as we wrap up our series on how to live after Adventism with an interview with our friend Jordan Quinley who shows us what it is to be a lifelong learner in the body of Christ 
as he tells us his story of discovering the new covenant as a Christian who's never been an Adventist. And we'll see you then. 